0: As I've traveled the world and had these opportunities to meet and work alongside a lot of very interesting people, the question that I keep getting is, how can I create the life that I want? How can I create the brand, the behaviors, the culture that motivate and drive me? This podcast is dedicated to those questions. We can figure out great ways to move forward in life and create a life worth living, a life with purpose and meaning. My name is David Vanderbeen. Welcome to the Kick Aspirational Podcast. I'm so excited! We've got Paul Fishman on today. Uh, Paul's famous for a lot of his work in self love, um, in particular the Road to Self Love, the Self Love Diet, and really helping people learn to say yes to themselves. Paul, welcome to the Kick Aspirational Podcast. Well, my dreams have come true. Someone thinks I'm famous, <laughs> so thank you for having me. <laughs> no, we're, look, we're uh, we're really excited to have you. You've got an amazing um, your Instagram account, your 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 podcast the program. What, uh, how did you get into, you know, and so the kick aspirational podcast is all about helping people break through barriers in their life, do more than they thought they could actually self-actualize in a lot of ways, um, which lines up really well. I think a lot of work you do, what got you into self-love and kind of focusing on that as a, as a point of view. That's a great
1: question. I mean, there, there are so many different aspects to my journey into self-love, but ultimately it was cuz i didn't love myself and i wanted to figure that out and i was having it mirrored back by all of these people in my life at the time i this is around 5 years ago i was a personal trainer, nutrition coach, pilates instructor, spin instructor and i was in the whole fitness world mm-hmm. And people kept on coming to me saying, I want to lose weight so that someone will like me, or I want to lose weight so that I'll get more followers on social media or that I could fit into this outfit. It was all about external validation. And I realized that a lot of my life was focused on pleasing others instead of looking inward and being like, what's going to actually please me? So it became apparent uh, in, in the world of the Internet entrepreneur that I need to commodify my own journey and and make money while teaching other people how to love themselves at the same time that I was teaching myself to love myself, kind of um, making a little joke on a realization that I just recently had about my entire life's purpose. But um, it no, was, but I,
0: yeah, yeah. Sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, no. No, but but, but I think that's you know a lot of people that I interview they're part of the reason I like to ask the questions because generally. You know, this comes from a point of passion, and it usually comes from some point of your own kind of transformation that has to occur. And when you have this experience, this transformational, you know, experience that lends, and you have this kind of big aha moment, then you want to share that with other people, right? Um, yeah. is that consistent with what you've kind of felt, or how you how you ended up at this point? Absolutely,
1: for me, it's always just been this understanding that the more I talk about it, the less alone I am. And I've always had this gift of resonance and gift of vulnerability. And sharing, it not only gives me that internal validation, but it also just all in all validates my journey as a human. And and even when I'm sharing things that I don't think anyone will care about, I'll get a message from someone being like, wow, I was going through the exact same thing. So not only is it helpful for me, but it's helpful for others. And And that's really all, I believe entrepreneurship is
0: about, it's just like helping yourself by helping others. So and what were? Oh no, no, I think that's, that's, look, when we help others, when we add value to other people's lives, I think that's where we get value back, right? That's entrepreneurship is about creation of wealth, whether it's money or whether it's value and love or, or other kind of less tangible things and some of the more important things. Um, how did you get to a point? I mean, can you tell us a little bit about the origins of the lack of self-love you had? and how you solve that was, was it, I mean, I'm guessing here, but, you know, we, I just had a guest on who went through a really uh, horrific journey. And one of the things that he had to learn was that, you know, the pretty hard to change your environment, but you can change your interior. Was this for you? Was this about, you know, external? I mean, you're a trainer, you're physically helping people fix their, the shape of their bodies. Was it external and internal? Was it mostly internal? Was it mostly external? Tell me, tell me about the origins of your story and kind of how you, how you solve some of that
1: yeah, well, i I grew up in from the outside what looked like a really solid family. You know, there's five of us, my mom, my dad, my brother, and my sister. I'm the oldest of three. And as the oldest, I like to think of myself as the experimental child because my parents had no idea what they were doing and, and they were doing the best that they could with what they'd learned and experimenting a lot on me and with regards to boundaries and rules and expectations. And I look at my sister and I'm like, wow, you had it really easy because she was the youngest <laughs> and the only girl. So she got all these benefits. But, uh, you know, it, the family was really chaotic. I was raised in a lot of chaos. My dad is a recovering addict, and this is all something that I was we didn't find out until the pandemic. So for 30 years, um, my father was hiding this addiction, which was just like a piece of the puzzle. Right. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm really into family and ancestral ancestral trauma and how, um, traumatic experiences and events and feelings can be passed down generation to generation. And a lot of this stuff was passed down from ancestors, you know, this idea that we secrets keep you safe. And, uh, if it's not and the family needs to look a certain way, but inside they're just being, I mean, we went through so much as kids and we were very privileged as well. Like, you know, we, we were upper middle class. We didn't have any wants or needs. went to private school. And at the same time, like there was a deep, deep terror that I had of, of my father and, because of that, I, I developed this need to please, not only him, but other people. And within this people-pleasing journey, which people-pleasing is actually a trauma response. It's, there's fight, flight, and fawn, and fawn is that people-pleasing response. I lost self-confidence. I, I developed a sense of worth around what other people thought of me, not necessarily what I thought of myself. And on that journey of trying to rediscover who I was, I just fell flat on my face so many times. And uh, as a child, I was, and still really am, into the performing arts. I love music. I love just being in front of people and really have this strong desire for fame, which comes back to why I was just like, oh, someone thinks I'm famous. Because it's like when with fame, we think that when more people see us, that we're going to feel better about ourselves. And this is kind of the thing that I'm grappling with as a human online, being seen by people, helping people, but also like just being a human, just like everyone else, you know, just because I have X amount of followers on TikTok doesn't make me any better than the, you or anyone who's listening. It's just this perception of what makes us better, and and I'm kind of going down this rabbit hole and this tangent. But ultimately, what when I started realizing that I was in complete control of how I showed up in the world and how I let other things impact me. That was when I started realizing that self-love is a massive key because self-love, the word self is the individual and love means devotion. Mm. So if we're operating from a place of self-love, we're operating from a place of the devotion to our individuality. What makes me special as a human? What makes you special as a human? What makes you the listener special as a human and getting really devoted to those things because those are gifts that we were given by the universe, source, God, whomever you want to call it. And by not showing up and using those gifts, by, by allowing yourself to be silenced by the world or fear That is the most selfish thing that you can do is by not allowing your gifts to shine through. So when I say my gifts of vulnerability and resonance and really like music and performance, if I'm not using those gifts, I am, it's a disservice to the world because a lot of people are like, well, Paul, self-love is selfish.
0: And I'm like, it's actually the most selfless thing that you can do is love yourself. Wow. No, I think that's absolutely right. And it's, this gets, you just talked about a number of really interesting things. I want to, I was taking notes. I wasn't ignoring you. I was taking notes while you were talking. So I wanted to come back and hit on some of these, but you know, there's, um, there's a really great book called Psycho-Cybernetics, written by a, a, a surgeon, a plastic surgeon, who started to recognize that changing people's outward appearance didn't necessarily fix the thing they were, some of them were trying to fix internally, You know, some of the more psychological elements they were trying to solve, which sounds a lot like the self-love work that, that you've gone through and done. Do, do you, th- so one, do you think there's a difference between happiness and like deep joy? Is there some confusion there? Or like people think, well, if I, if I please my father, That'll make him happy. That'll make me happy. But ultimately it's not serving yourself. And so you're not finding that joy. And then I guess the other thing is, do you have, do you have people who come to you thinking, well, if I just fix my body, if I just get in shape, if I just lose that extra 20 pounds, then I'll be happy. Then I'll find this, this sense of completion. Or if I get famous, I'll find this. Is that sort of, is that along the lines of some of the things that you've dealt with and you're you're talking about? Absolutely. I mean, for me, happiness is fleeting.
1: It's a momentary feeling. Joy is this long, um, like beautiful, beautiful experience. So when people oftentimes confuse happiness and joy, like you were saying, and, and I think that to be happy is are in the little moments and to be filled filled of joy is something that we can control Happiness right. might actually be something that's triggered by the external whereas joy is an internal feeling I also have gone through these stages of my life. where I'm just like why can't I just be joyful all the time? And <laughs> the reality is is that without the sadness and without the fear and without the the longing and the hard moments in life Then joy would get really really muffled and if we were always joyful joyful, then we wouldn't actually ever even experience joy.
0: No, I think that's right. And so you went from this sense of, you said you you were falling, in, you know, you were somebody who was trying to please a lot. You were, you were focused on everyone else's sort of happiness, but losing your own in, in the process. Um, what, what was it for you? Was there, a sense, was there a time where something broke or you hit sort of rock bottom or what well, was it where you went enough? It sounds like, I mean, I'm, by, by the way, I don't know this, but I'm kind of assuming this where you kind of were like, okay, I'm not gonna go this way anymore, I'm gonna go a different direction. What was, can you tell us about that process and and how you got there? Sure, so uh, my rock bottom moment, and I
1: feel like I've actually had a couple, but like my first rock bottom moment was, I was around 24, 25, I was living in New York City, and New York City is like the dream for me. I always dreamt of being there ever since I was a little boy and the first time my dad took me there. And I made it, I graduated college, I moved to New York, and then I was just kind of traveling down this path that I thought other people wanted me to travel down. I got the job and it started climbing the corporate ladder, I had the relationship, you know, we were saving to buy a home, we were going to get married, have kids, all these things. And inside, I was just panicking because none of it felt aligned and true, but I was forcing myself this beautiful round peg into a square hole because that's what I thought other people wanted for me. And ultimately it all came crumbling down. When I woke up one morning, I was looking in the mirror and I didn't recognize myself. I didn't recognize the person staring back at me. I was like, who is Paul Fishman? Oh, Paul Fishman's doing the things that he thinks his dad wants him to do. Paul Fishman is doing the things that he, he thinks his partner wants him to do. Paul Fishman is following the, these corporate guidelines so that he can you know, achieve a, another 4% salary increase every six months or, or a year if I was lucky. And ultimately I realized that none of it was working for me. None of it felt good and I started crying. I had a panic attack because I was like, the only person who can get me out of this is me. And at that moment, it took me leaving the relationship that I was in, it took me quitting the job, it took me moving from New York City back in with my parents at home to across the country back to San Diego to realize and reset, like that's how much work I needed to do. And granted, I wasn't in therapy, I didn't have a coach, I didn't have much of a community around me. And the second that I moved home, and this was almost a decade ago, I started in therapy, I started uh, doing the the work, I started um, exercising more and finding ways to center myself and then just decided that I was going to become a spin instructor because I found so much clarity and joy inside the spin studio. It was really just like grasping at anything that made me feel a certain way and that was like
0: first rock bottom moment and if i can share the next rock bottom moment with no please this is awesome this is exactly i love to hear cuz you're basically making a leap and kind of finding a finding a place to land but then it sounds like you probably found another <laughs> had to had to make another leap.
1: <laughs> yeah. So so fit everything for me, like I'm a very why entrepreneurship is so beautiful for me is because different every single day. And it can be really I can make it as exciting as I want it to. And um what I what I kept on running into in the corporate world or working for someone else is that I had to follow rules or I had to I couldn't take the risks that I wanted to because it didn't line up with the company ethos or whatever. And uh I ended up after being in the fitness world for four years deciding that I wanted to do something different. So that's when I launched my self-love coaching business. And this was back in 2018. And in 2018, no one was talking about self-love, let alone there were no men talking about self-love. So I was really successful right out the gate, was on massive podcasts, made a name for myself, you know, was kind of seen as the leader in self-love. And that lasted up until the pandemic, and then when the pandemic hit, everything just kind of started crumbling in on itself because the last thing people wanted was to learn how to love themselves. Not it was really it started becoming really challenging for me to um, sell people on the concept of self love when they were just scared for their lives, you know. And the and I mean that's kind of dramatizing everything that happened, but that's really what it felt like happened for me. So I really had to decide. Uh, what I was going to do. And at that moment, I said, okay, I have no other choice but to, to go all in on my dreams, which comes back to this desire for fame. And I really wanted to be the star of a reality TV show. So I kept on going on castings, kept on getting almost to the point where they would be consider creating a show around me and something would fall through. So I said, I'm just going to take this into my own hands and I'm going to film my own pilot. So I found a woman who was willing to allow me to spend five days with her at her home with her kids, and we filmed the entire process of what my six month program looks like in five days. Whoa. Just like all in, um, looking, working with her, sharing, uh, just filming the entire thing. And it was very low budget, but it, it really fulfilled a desire of mine. Now, meanwhile, as that's happening, I break out in this rash. On, on my upper chest. And this is uh, around six months after the whole um, thing happened with my dad, where he ended up having to go to rehab because he got sloppy with his addiction and everything came out. And so I was kind of suppressing a lot at the same time. Sure. So I started developing so a lot, lot of stress. There's a lot of
0: stress in your life, right?
1: There's a lot of stress in my life at that point And, and, and still, you know, working through that and navigating how to de-stress my nervous system. Sure. So I started breaking out this rash and this rash, long story short, turned into a debilitating rare skin disease that took me almost three months to get a diagnosis and um, brought me like brought me to the points where I was on the brink of suicide where I was, oh like I almost lost everything, my relationship, my livelihood, everything was almost lost because I could couldn't function my skin was red and itchy and flaky and and I couldn't sleep at night and my feet and hands the skin thickened and it started cracking so I couldn't walk I couldn't be on social media because my face was covered in flakes and it was so it was this moment in time where I was just like why God why is this happening to me why are you doing this to me and now as I'm, I still am growing through it, but it's, it's a 12 to 36 month healing journey. I'm around 14 months in and it's, it's a lot more manageable now. Uh, I realized that that rash was the biggest blessing that I ever had in my life because it really pushed me to sit down, push pushed me to look at all of the moments in my life that were, where I was just ignoring things, ignoring the grief of, of actually feeling the pain of having a parent who was on a pedestal being ripped down and all the sacrifice I made to impress this person who's just only human and acknowledging over and over again, all of the mistakes that I made or the sacrifices that I made, they were not mistakes. They were on pushing me on the path that I needed, but the sacrifices that I made of myself to please other people that were not serving me, leaving the city that I always I thought it was New York or nowhere for me leaving that city because of sacrifices that I made for other people and knowing that I had made this bed and I had to sleep in it and looking and so having days, weeks, months of not being able to do anything, but like sit on my couch and like barely keep my eyes open and just introspect and reflect on. What? Why is this happening for me? Why is this happening for me? What can I do differently? Because the second I decided that I couldn't be a victim to this disease anymore and I had to really shift was when I started healing and peeling back the layers of anger and rage, grief, like Expressing these things in positive ways, knowing that when we express anger positively, it's creativity. Mm -hmm. And when we allow grief to move through us, it has no longer any control over us. And as I started peeling those layers away, I realized that forcing my business to to work was what really was the breaking point of this rash not only that but like the rash also came to keep me from turning into a reality tv star because that would have destroyed me
0: (laughs) so thank god for the rash i guess
1: (laughs) listen that's the only way that i can look at it now and like be grateful for the past 14 months because like there were multiple times where my partner almost left they were like we we can't do this anymore And there were multiple times where I was just like looking at my bank account being like, what am I supposed to do? You know, and for whatever reason, I kept on getting like one client every month, just enough to sustain my life, just enough money, but there was no excess, and it was still kept me in this like vibration of chaos. So now where I am is at this point of, of unpacking why do I feel more successful in chaos? Why can't life just be boring? Why? And, and I heard this quote that really resonated with me. It's like we've been conditioned by reality TV and the fear, um, the fear centric news, um, cycle to that. Chaos is what life is meant to be like that drama is the ordinary, but the reality is is that drama is the extraordinary chaos is the extraordinary life is meant to be these simple routines that, that are, are not necessarily boring, but not, they don't have to be exciting every single day. You don't have to have this exciting life to be successful. So this is like moving into how do I like plant these seeds into my life right now to really soothe my nervous system. And on this point where I'm getting ready to move back to New York city, because, because I have all like, I, it, it just everything aligned, and my partner and I were going.
0: So it's like. So and so, how how long ago did you have this rash and this this sort of second crisis?
1: Yeah. So this was. I'm still. I still have the rash. So it's like this um, started in March of 2020.
0: So right when kind of everything's hitting with COVID, and it sounds like your father was coming through this addiction. Uh, or, yeah. or was exposed The addiction. Was exposed. Yeah. How, how's your relationship with your father? How's he doing?
1: So my relationship with my dad has never been better. Okay. Uh, I, I recorded an entire podcast episode about this, but essentially I was estranged from him for almost eight months. I wasn't speaking to him because I just, I mean, there was a, it was a complete betrayal to the entire family and my mom and everything like that. So, but I woke up one day and I said, I don't want to spend the rest of my my father's life, not speaking to him. I don't want to get a phone call from my mom being like your dad passed and I'd never spoken to him or never made amends or never been able to tell him that I still loved him, even though, you know, all this stuff that he did. And so I, I went to counsel with some of my, um, my friends and, and men that I really trust in a, in a men's group that I work with. And one of them said to me, Paul, you could spend the rest of your dad's life and the rest of your life trying to forgive him, trying to right the wrongs of your previous relationship, trying to make that previous relationship a better or heal it. He said, what I recommend is that you go in and you say, dad, I'd like to start a new relationship right now. One with standards of zero unspoken expectations of a peer to peer relationship, not a parent child relationship, of asking for help if we need it and being okay receiving a no or being okay communicating about it. And that was probably the hardest conversation that I've had to have with him because it really, in that sense, I had to forgive him to move forward but since, and that was back in November. And since then our relationship has been the relationship that I've always wanted my relationship with my father to be like, which is one of grace and forgiveness and communication and zero judgment. It's, it's really been so beautiful.
0: And it sounds like limited expectations too. It sounds like, uh, you, you know, you've mentioned boundaries a couple of times, you know, I, I, I think that's, from what I've read about you and when you know what I've seen about you, you know a lot of what you talk about is saying yes to yourself saying no to others at times when it's important is I mean that's kind of a framework like a boundary. Um, have you had to put new boundaries on your life to, to get to this the sense of joy and the sense of better relationships with people, et etc?
1: yes and the the most interesting boundary that I've been um, playing with is the boundary with my saying yes to myself because I found that I was say I over course corrected with the yeses and I was just this penultimate yes man with myself. I was always saying yes, regardless of whether it was smart or a good financial mood move or something like that. Like I was just like told no to myself and to buy others for so much of my life that I was just like, I'm going to say yes, regardless. And it, it got me into a lot of trouble. Because I was continuously saying yes in investments in my business, and and therefore, I wasn't really taking into account my family or anything that those needs. And I was saying yes to all these dreams, and my health, I lost my health. So now, it's really just finding the balance and knowing that, like, it's some things I I don't have control over, right? Like, I'm just... Sure. I'm a recovering people pleaser who's realizing that I'm a control freak, and the best place to belong is in the unknown.
0: <laughs> and how does that work with your partner? It sounds like you and your partner had had a little breakthrough too during this uh, this rash crisis and some of the things going on. Uh, has that have, have you had an adjustment with how you're living with somebody in a in a relationship?
1: I think that it's there's been a lot of boundaries on his side like that he's had to really push through in the sense of, uh, I believe that people who are, I believe that we're all on a hero's journey and we're all kind of in this, this movie of life and the universe or God or source, however you want to call it the goal for the hero. And I'm the hero. You're the hero of your story. The goal of the hero, is to have this conflict and resolve it right, and right. die a peaceful human. And, and the conflict is brought up by all of these different players in our life. So whether that's your partner or your coworkers or your boss or a child or whomever it is. And really, my partner and I came into each other's life to heal each other. Heal our support the healing of the trauma and it's interesting because the things that I do just as a human because for instance like an example I love to give is that I Was raised with cleaning and chores being a punishment. We didn't have an allowance We didn't get rewarded for that. It was a punishment Right, and my partner grew up in a home that if it wasn't clean It meant that his mom was on a bender or his parents were in a fight so any dish that was out of place or anything that wasn't that was left untidied on my behalf was a direct attack on my husband's trauma response. Wow, wow. So we, I swear we spent thousands of dollars at couples therapy just to like learn this. And so I, uh, this was really a gift that I can continue giving. It's that like, if something triggers you that your partner is doing, the, the first opportunity is to acknowledge that that's your trigger and find a productive way to communicate about it. Because just because now I understand that when the house is a mess, it's triggering the the little eight-year-old and my husband to to panic and think that things aren't safe doesn't mean that I don't get to also work on those things and be a cleaner person because as I continue to clean up after myself, my mind is clear. I have more clarity. So um, to kind of answer your question with that story and also just finalize that, like he realized that his safe space was in nurturing and taking care of other people. And he had to push himself and put himself so far at the back burner to not only care for me emotionally, physically, but also carry the burden of our, our two income household on one income. Mm. So there was so much involved where one day he broke and he was like, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't because he didn't want to be in a relationship, but at the time it felt safer for him to walk away because he knew that he could take care of himself than to get through the storm. And he learned so much about himself and learned his worth and his value. And that I can actually be someone that he can rely on to hold him. Not like my darkest, darkest moments and where I was in so much pain and couldn't sleep. But like, that's just like, hopefully that is not the norm for our relationship and life, but we can get through anything now. And we're so much stronger for it.
0: No, I think those crises you, discover a lot about yourself and and particularly when you're in a committed relationship, like how, you, how this works together, right. How, how you support each other when that, when that really happens. Um, what is, so do you still work as, as part of your self-love program and self-care program? Is it related to physical fitness as well, or is it primarily an interior practice? I, I saw the self-love diet maybe Tell us about that a little bit. And Is it actually something you're eating or is it something that you're feeding your brain? What is the self-love diet? Yes. Yeah, so, how does this all work? Um, the, word, the word diet is um, at its baseline is just
1: means habitual nourishment. And um, when I started the self-love diet, I was transitioning out of the physical fitness space. So a lot of people who were already following me knew of me as someone who did this um, physical coaching. And really, I just went in guns blazing. I was like, I'm gonna disrupt everything. I'm gonna show people that a diet doesn't have, isn't about restriction. It's about habits and it's about nourishment. And we can nourish our minds, our bodies, and our souls. So in the self love diet, what we do is over the course of six months, I'm taking you through the five pillars that I believe you must do to get devoted to your individuality and to learn how to habitually nourish that devotion to your individuality. And those five pillars are self discovery where you actually take the time to discover who you are. Because a lot of us, if you, if you resonated with any part of my story, a lot of us are just living our lives through, the, through the, the vein of what we think other people want us to do. So we're living our lives for other people, especially those of us who identify as people pleasers or potentially empaths, because as an empath, you're monitoring other people's emotions. So you wanna control their emotions and, pe- and the best way to do that is to sacrifice yourself. So during the first module, we're discovering who, who is Paul Fishman, you know, who are you? And then, what, like clockwork, what happens is start to panic because you might realize that, oh my goodness, I have not been the person that I wanted to be or I don't know who I am, which is an even scarier thing to acknowledge when we're looking in the mirror. And then it steps into self-awareness. That's module two is self-awareness. And within self-awareness, what we're doing is we're just getting aware of when you are being the person that you wanna be and when you are actually aligned with those deep core desires of hu- of your humanness and then also becoming aware of when you're sacrificing yourself with the tools that I'm giving you throughout the program and then the next step is that we're stepping into self acceptance and self acceptance is a wow, this is me. I'm standing on two feet. I'm safe being me. And it actually feels really, really good. And this is what I need from myself to accept me. So you're getting really, really crystal clear on the pillars of who you are. And then the fourth pillar is self-expression. How do you express yourself? How do you express your needs? Not only to other people, but to yourself. And how do you stay aligned and authentic in that purpose and passion? And then the final piece, which is the piece that everyone always wants to get into right at, right at the beginning is self-love and really self-love is the easiest piece of the equation when you have these four, because what you're doing is you're witnessing yourself to standing in your own discovered, authentic version of you and loving that person and knowing that self-love isn't finite. You're going to wake up one day and look in the mirror and be like, God, I hate myself or, or man, I'm really messed up. And that's OK. But if you have all of these tools that over the course of a decade, I've compiled into this six month program. You have the you you have everything in your tool belt to get through those hard days and not make yourself wrong, but allow yourself to just be made a human.
0: And what's the so in the six months, is it like weekly meetings? Is it what's yes. what's the what's what's the what's the program look like?
1: So the program is, um, it's a hybrid program. So it's, you, uh, you receive one-on-one calls with me and then we do a bi-weekly group call. So you get a monthly one-on-one call, a bi-weekly group call, and the group calls are really beautiful because you get to see that you're not alone and you get to hear other people's stories and acknowledge that you are safe in your experience because when we see that we're not alone oh my goodness everything changes Hmm. and while we're in that journey i'm unlocking a um go at your own pace monthly module in those pillars and you get an additional month just to
0: make sure that you get through the entire program well that's awesome and uh and people can find this where how do people find this how do do people find out how how to find out more
1: yeah, so you can go to paulfishman.love. So that's Paul, my first name, Paul, last name, fish, like the things that swim in the sea, manlikeme.love forward slash self-love diet, And there's all the information there and you can apply to the program. Uh, we ask that you fill in an application because there's this excitement when it comes to writing out your goals. And even if it's a, I don't know, I love people to just fill out the application knowing that they're ready to take that first step. I've had clients who say, I started filling out the application five times before I p- press submit. And that's just the journey. And they're, so um, that's how you can apply. and It's rolling admissions. So we're always accepting new people. And I I love, love, love the process. It's all built into a custom app that I have. So the community is focused. It's You can take it with you. You can post in there. It's kind of like, Um, Facebook, if Facebook and a warm, fuzzy hug had a baby and, uh, and like I said, we have the bi-weekly group calls and then you get a monthly one-on-one call with me and the support of the community.
0: Is there an ongoing process that happens too, like through the app or what happens after people complete their self-love course, they continue to self to love themselves.
1: Well, so as I said, self-love is not finite. And, um, really what I found works the best, and this is something that was really hard for me at first, but is actually really beneficial is there's a six month timeline of access with your tuition that you, and the investment that you get access to. And then at the end of six months, you have the opportunity to renew for another six months, or, um, we send you best wishes and we say fair adieu, And, uh, And it was really hard for me at first because lifetime access feels like such a make or break for people. But what I found is that with lifetime access, no one was actually showing up for the program. And once and I I say no one is a blanket statement, but there were a lot less people were committed in doing the work.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, yeah, it takes commitment. Right. Otherwise, it's not a community.
1: And the other thing is, is that a lot of times the investment in itself is so cathartic for so many people that they're like, okay, I invested in myself. I've never invested in myself before. This is my first chance of try at doing something. I finally started doing it and oh, oh wow. um, This feels good. And that's enough for me. I did it. And then they're just like, oh, the, I'm not going to show up for the calls. Uh, Maybe I'll do a one-on-one call with Paul every once in a while. But so I really. And this is another moment in time where I had to release control. Like I really said, if you, you get the opportunity to book your calls, you have six, you know, coupon codes to use. If you want to book all of them once a month, or you want to book all six of them at the end of the time, like if you can find time on my schedule, that's how you do it. And it really, it allows people to be held but not too held because I don't want people to feel set, set up for failure. If I'm just holding their hands the entire time and they think, Oh, I've got an entire lifetime to learn how to love myself. It's just like, and, it might, and that might turn some people off but it really has helped me as the leader regulate my nervous system because when people stop showing up then i don't get to do the things
0: that i was con- like i agreed to do and sure. that's no fun for me well no i mean i think it's like it goes back to it's like physical training right there's a lot of people that like to just buy the gym membership and don't go to the gym um and i think that you know this is versa which you know is kind of the the group that kind of monitors gyms and fitness clubs, et cetera, you know, they've done a lot of studies and people who come in with an assessment and a trainer and a commitment to a time and a date with a trainer get much different results than people that just buy a membership, right? For yeah. the same reason, because part of it is when time is scarce, money is scarce. When you have to force, focus that scarcity on the action, that's when you're actually going to get that benefit and resolve. And I think, I mean, it sounds like a lot of what you've said. I mean, I'd love, the. Uh, it's learning to say, no, I love the idea of, you know, I, I, one of my favorites is Jim Collins talking about having a not to-do list. You know, we all have to-do lists. So I'm going to, I'm going to work on myself. I'm going to work on my, I'm go to the gym. I'm going to, you know, do this. and this. Okay. But what are you not going to do? So you can actually get those things done. And I think yeah. what you're saying is unless, oops, sorry about this. Unless people are actually going to commit, right. Unless people are actually going to put some skin in the game, it's never going to happen. Um, and even if they just put money in and don't commit their time, it's never going to happen. Yeah. I just, I'm really impressed with that. I think that's an important reason to have communities where people are committed and they're showing up and, uh, and it matters to them. Amen. And you're on Instagram as well, right? What's your, or what, what, what social platforms do you use?
1: Yeah. So my favorite platform right now is TikTok and wow. you can find me, um, at paul.fishman and on Instagram, uh, it's at Paul Fishman. So either way you search, you'll find me. And I'm really just, um, doing my best to have fun on the platforms. And, and if you want to learn a lot of valuable advice and hear from a lot of great people about self-love, I would highly recommend you listen to my podcast. It's called The Road to Self-Love. And that's like a great place to start if you're scared of the idea of what does self-love mean. It doesn't mean I'm going to have to sacrifice all... The things that paul sacrificed a lot of my clients were like i was so scared that i was going to have to leave my relationship leave my job and move back in with my parents to love myself like you had to do paul i'm like no it doesn't have to look like that at all like everyone's self-love journey is different but i have so many resources available and on my website as well there's links to all the things and i'm just excited to receive anyone's application to the self-love diet and also if i was just like an inspiration for someone to know that you're not alone
0: that's awesome. And you work with men and women, or is it just?
1: Yeah, yeah. men and women. I love. I love working with men. Um, it's and women are. I find are more um, willing to do this work. Uh, but when I get the opportunity to work with a man, it brings me so much joy because it's. It's. There's just a lot to be said about that.
0: No, I think so. I think it's harder for men a lot of times to to find that nurturing side particularly for themselves to find that emotional state and be comfortable talking about it out loud with other men or other men and women um but i think that's that's really impressive i work with a lot of women right now and uh you know it's it's um it's amazing to see the nurturing and a lot of the self-work that they do but it's impressive to hear that men are doing this too because i think we all need it we're all made out of people and we all need to uh, work on ourselves If we're going to be good for other people around us, I think a lot of times, well, this is great. We'll put all of these links in the notes on the podcast and um, we'll make sure that people have access to your website and to uh, obviously your social and to your, to your podcast. But I really sincerely appreciate the time uh, tonight for me, this afternoon for you in in San Diego. Um, But uh, it's, it's great, great to hear about self-love and how we can fix ourselves. Thank you so much, Paul. Thank you for having me. you for joining another episode of the kick aspirational podcast you know the most important thing to remember is this is not a spectator sport what i'm deeply interested in is hearing about your stories and answering your questions what does your life look like what are you trying to accomplish what are the barriers that you're trying to break through because at the end of the day the kick aspirational podcast is about helping people break through barriers of their own i'd love to hear what you're working on i'd love to join you in your battles And most importantly, whatever you do today, please, among all other things, be kick aspirational.